Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Later, we will conduct a question and answer session, and instructions will follow at that time. If analysts require assistance, please press star then zero on your touchdown telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. At this time, I'd like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Well, thank you so much, Stephanie, and I, too, would like to welcome everyone to today's Cancer Connect workshop. Um, today's program is Coping with the Stresses of Caregiving When Your Loved One Has Multi-Myeloma. And this is part two of a two-part series on living with multi-myeloma. And um, today's program is a collaborative effort between Cancer Care and many other um, cancer organizations, including the International Myeloma Foundation. And I really want to thank all of you for um, your interest in the program today. And because of that interest and um, reach out to all of you, we have over 690 participants on the call today. And you come from all over the United States. And we also have international participants from Canada, Costa Rica, the Netherlands, Turkey, United Kingdom, and Venezuela. So it's really um, a credit to all of you that you're on this call today and that we also have a bit of a global call with people all over the world on the call today. Now, today's program has been made possible by the Celgene Corporation, an educational donation provided by Amgen and supported by an educational grant from Janssen Biotech, Inc., administered by Janssen Scientific Affairs, LLC. And I really want to thank them for their support of this series um, and, uh, and this program today, as well as their corporate partnership and sponsorship of making this program possible. Now, we have wonderful speakers on our program today. And I want to begin by introducing our first speaker, and our first speaker is Dr. Elizabeth O'Donnell. Dr. O'Donnell is an instructor at Harvard Medical School, Department of Hematology Oncology, Massachusetts General Hospital Cancer Center. And Dr. O'Donnell is going to address an overview of multi-myeloma as a chronic disease, caregiving for a loved one living with multi-myeloma, and the caregiver's important role in communicating with the healthcare team. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to Dr. O'Donnell. Thank you very much, uh, and thank you for uh, everybody who's joined us today for this call and giving us the opportunity to talk about caregiving and myeloma. Um, to begin, I'll give an overview as myeloma as a chronic disease. As all of you know, multiple myeloma is a blood cancer. It is a very treatable cancer, but it currently is an incurable cancer. Over the past decade, we have experienced a revolution in how we treat this disease. Our therapies continue to evolve. For example, we had four new drugs approved by the FDA last year alone. As such, the average patient with multiple myeloma will now live for many, many years with disease, and we treat this as a chronic illness during which time patients will go through numerous lines of therapy as we manage multiple myeloma. So how do we treat multiple myeloma? The way we treat this disease involves using combinations of drugs, typically three at once, that are given over four to eight cycles or as many months with or without high-dose chemotherapy and an autologous stem cell transplant. This enables us to control the disease or to get patients into a, quote, remission state. Once in a remission or in a state of disease control, we also now know that there's a benefit to staying on continuous therapy or maintenance therapy. As a disease, multiple myeloma is often likened to an iceberg. There is a visible portion above the surface, which is what we can see and measure in the blood and bone marrow. But like an iceberg, we now know that there is more below the surface. And even when we're able to get rid of that visible portion, there is more that lies below and the disease will ultimately resurface and require treatment again. When myeloma does become active again, we, we use combinations of drugs similar to how we start to get patients back into remission or a state of disease control. 
The combinations of drugs that we use to treat myeloma are generally well tolerated when compared to other chemotherapies, but they are far from free of side effects. Patients may experience fatigue, they can develop rashes, have bowel symptoms such as diarrhea or constipation, and many patients can de develop numbness and tingling of their feet and hands. The hardest drug for many patients to tolerate is actually the steroid, dexamethasone, which is part of virtually all myeloma regimens given. Steroids, particularly at high doses, can have strong mood-altering effects, such as irritability, emotional lability, meaning your emotions can go up and down, and insomnia. These symptoms can exacerbate the already challenging experience of coping with a new cancer diagnosis. High-dose chemotherapy and autologous stem cell transplant can also be a part of treatment for patients. A transplant typically requires a three-week admission to the hospital. The chemotherapy that is given can be associated with nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, hair loss, and deconditioning, and the effects of the therapy can be long-lasting. As mentioned, the new standard of care is to treat to continue lenalidomide or an alternative drug as a maintenance therapy so that patients are now effectively on therapy continuous, continuously from the time of diagnosis onward. This is very different from other cancers where a short period of intense therapy is administered with the goal of cure or short-term disease control. In this way, myeloma has become a chronic disease, and we manage myeloma as a chronic disease. Uh, to do this requires a long-term frame of reference and vision. There are also practical ramifications to man managing this disease as a chronic illness. Being on continuous treatment requires that the patient come to the cancer center even in times of remission. With good disease control, patients may be able to go months without seeing their provider, but the drug toxicities in the state of disease must always be monitored in myeloma. The psychosocial and financial impacts of chronic disease management are not well understood at myeloma at this point, but they are certainly something to be appreciated as part of the burden of coping with this cancer as a chronic disease. The good news in myeloma is that we continue to make forward progress towards finding a cure, and we have transformed this disease into a chronic illness that can be managed for many, many years. But we are continuing to seek better treatments and to try to learn from our patients how we can make the experience of living with this chronic illness a better one. For the patient, the people on the call who are caregivers, myeloma can be a very challenging disease. So how do you care for a loved one with myeloma? Hearing the words, you have cancer, are some of the hardest and most dreaded words that any one of us will ever hear. The ramifications of a cancer diagnosis are far-reaching. They are physical, emotional, financial, and psychological, just to name a few. The effects on the caregiver are profound as well. Studies have shown that the emotional state of the patient very much affects that of the caregiver. If a patient is depressed, then his or her caregiver is more likely to be depressed. If a patient has anxiety, then the caregiver is more likely to suffer anxiety as well. I think it is important before talking about how we care for a loved one with myeloma to first acknowledge that the caregivers suffer too. It is very painful to watch a, a loved one suffer, and there's a loss for the caregiver as well of the future that was envisioned and the loss of the life as it was before the cancer diagnosis. The pain for the caregivers is very real, but for better or for worse, their suffering has to be secondary to that of the patient as we go through the treatment of the disease. During my oncology training, a colleague drew a picture for me of concentric circles. In the middle, he labeled patient, and the next circle out was spouse, 
and the next one out was parent, and the next one out was other family, and so on. He explained that complaints could only be directed to the circle outward, never inward. And as hard as it is to go through the experience as a caregiver, we must always remember that it is hardest for the patient and that much of the suffering of the patient and the caregiver goes unspoken. With a cancer diagnosis, your loved one has received the dreaded news that no one wants to hear. There are five recognized stages to coping, and each person will process this news differently. You and your loved one will most likely process this differently, and your loved one needs to be given the space and time to process the emotions associated with the cancer diagnosis. For the caregiver, there are many elements to caregiving. For a myeloma patient, there's a need for the attention to the immediate medical needs and symptoms of the patient, but there's also a need to provide emotional support. Myeloma patients are some of the most medically complex patients because of the way the disease affects so many different systems, including the bones, kidneys, and blood cell lines. Many patients may present suffering from pain from myeloma with involving their bones, but fatigue can also be a common and life-altering symptom. The treatments themselves are also life-affecting. Particularly, the steroids can have profound effects on mood and energy levels. Patients may not be able to continue to work or uphold the same amount of household responsibility that they once did. This can be very challenging financially, emotionally, and create significant stress. It is important that the caregivers recognize that most patients do not want to be sick and do not want to have to rely on others. Not only that, a cancer diagnosis can be associated with a sense of betrayal by one's own body and a new vulnerability. Caregivers should be aware of this sense of vulnerability and recognize it in their loved ones. As this is a chronic disease, there needs to be an appreciation that care is going to be required long-term, so the caregiver must also take care of his or herself so that he or she is able to continue to take care of the patient over the many years that the patient will be treated for the disease. Myeloma is a marathon, not a sprint. It is important to recognize that there is an ebb and a flow to myeloma therapy. Specifically, there are periods of times where you will need to come to the cancer center once or twice a week for treatment, but then there will be other times where you are able to come monthly. It is important to use these periods of less frequent visits to recharge emotionally and to enjoy the things that you enjoy in life so that you can recharge your batteries and be able to continue to work through this disease. The caregiver has a very important role in communicating with the healthcare team. In addition to what the caregiver does on the home front, it is important and essential that they be uh, a communicator with the healthcare team. As everyone knows, there are many things that need to be covered in the span of a short doctor or nurse practitioner's visit. First and foremost, the patient's symptoms and treatment are the focus. But there's a lot that transpires outside of the hospital that very much affects the patient and caregiver's experience, and particularly the patient's experience with his symptoms and treatments that can be hard for the patient to bring into the appointment. There is a time constraint of appointment, but sometimes the flow of the appointment does not lend itself to addressing all of the patient's needs. As a caregiver, you are the eyes and ears for your loved one. You can be of tremendous help by keeping record of events or symptoms that occur during the week or period between treatments. You can keep track of medications and the needs for refills. You can convey information that the patient may be forgetting in the moment or reluctant to bring up. We have all been patients at some point in our lives, and I can personally speak to the fact that when when I say that sometimes we are afraid to tell our doctors the truth about how we are feeling. 
We have a natural instinct to want to make other people feel happy or to not displease our provider for fear that that will somehow change our care. While these concerns are generally unfounded, the caregiver can be of real value in offering honest feedback to the medical provider and for volunteering information that the patient may be reluctant to share or for advocating when things are not going as well as the patient and caregiver would like. Being a new cancer patient can be overwhelming, and most cancer patients don't hear much during the first few appointments after the diagnosis is made. It is a caregiver who can step in and absorb information and help the patient as they go through this difficult process. The caregiver can and will wear many hats, including taskmaster, advocate, scheduler, scribe. Going back to my earlier point, it is also important that the patient and caregiver realize that their team does want to hear their feedback. We want our patients to feel well and to do the best that they can possibly do as they go through therapy. Without feedback from patients and caregivers, we cannot improve as providers, nor can we improve the hospital systems that also very much impact the patient experience. Patients can also be hesitant to report symptoms because they're afraid of changes being made to their treatment that they, may fear, that they fear may impact the efficacy. This really gets back to the point that myeloma is a chronic disease. It is very important for medical providers to know what symptoms are being experienced so that the right adjustments can be made to enable the patient to continue to manage this chronic illness over a long period of time. Caregivers are essential here. We as providers are relying on you to give us the information that we need to do our best job at taking care of your loved one. The relationship between a myeloma provider and the patient is a long-term one, and the success of the relationship relies on good communication. As a caregiver, you are essential to this communication with the team. So those are some initial thoughts on myeloma as a chronic illness, on uh, the role of the caregiver and the important role of the caregiver as a communicator in the management of this chronic disease, multiple myeloma. Thank you so much, Dr. O'Donnell. That was really excellent, very um, comprehensive. And I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A. Thank you so much. And our next speaker is uh, Ms. Carly O'Brien. And Ms. O'Brien is an oncology social worker. She is our caregiver program coordinator at Cancer Care. And Ms. O'Brien is going to address becoming a caregiver, coping with each day on special occasions, birthdays, and holidays, managing family and friends, the long-distance caregiver, and self-care tips for managing stress. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to Ms. O'Brien. Thank you so much for having me on this call today, talking about such an important topic. So people become caregivers for a variety of reasons. Sometimes a person becomes a caregiver because this role is in line with their personality style, and it might come naturally to them. Others learn to become a caregiver with the help of the patient and their medical team. And others feel that they're automatically deemed a caregiver because of their relationship to the patient or their place in the family. We hear from a lot of clients who have a loved one diagnosed with cancer, and they're unsure if they're considered a caregiver. They're unsure if they can qualify as a caregiver because of the relationship they have with the patient, the amount of time spent supporting them, or the kind of things that they help with. At Cancer Care, we define caregivers as any person who provides any level of emotional, practical, or medical care for someone with cancer. Caregivers can be family members, partners, spouses, friends, 
professionals like a visiting nurse or a social worker, a community member, a neighbor. Any of these people um, can be caregivers. They can be people who are spending 24 hours a day with the patient or people who check in and offer support here and there or anywhere in between. For many people affected by cancer, there are multiple caregivers who offer varying levels of care and support. And for others, there is one designated primary caregiver. It's really a spectrum. No matter where you fall on this spectrum, you're still a caregiver with a valuable role in your loved one's cancer experience. And we're here to support you along the way. There's no one way to be a caregiver, and this role will be defined differently for each person that you ask because it's quite a personalized experience. It's important to keep in mind that this role can change over time with more intense periods of caregiving and quieter moments. We encourage anyone who may consider themselves a caregiver to be patient and flexible as they explore what this role looks like and what it really means to them. And when you do become a caregiver, Keep in mind that asking questions and learning what's expected of you can be extremely helpful. Know that you do have the right to set limits and to say no if parts of this role don't feel right for you. And ultimately, there's a lot of support available to help you explore what you want your caregiver role to be. Managing the stresses of everyday life can be challenging for anyone, but throw a cancer diagnosis into the mix, and that can be especially taxing both for the person with cancer and their caregivers. So I'm going to talk a little bit about how to cope each day on special occasions, anniversaries, birthdays, and holidays. When thinking about these events or occasions, paying attention to your loved one's physical and emotional needs, as well as your own, are important elements that can help make the most of each day, as well as any other special occasions that come up. Check in with yourself about what your priorities are each day, and be sure to be intentional with the things that are most important to you. To help you cope with each day, enlist the support of friends, family, or professionals to help you make sense of what your needs are and strategize about how you can work to get them met. Also, being flexible and patient with yourself can help you make the most of your experience as a caregiver. And while we talk a lot about the challenges of caregiving and the challenges of coping with cancer, it's equally important to remember the opportunities that can come along with all of this, especially in the caregiver role. A clearer understanding of your loved one's needs as well as your own, a stronger connection or bond with your loved one, improved communication, and the ability to, to appreciate the simple moments together, these are just a few of those potential opportunities. Reflecting on these often and daily, rather than just focusing on the challenges, can offer you a sense of hope and comfort, and that can be empowering and can help you to cope with each day. Special occasions, birthdays, and anniversaries often represent times of celebration and connecting with loved ones. Coping with cancer and caregiving during these special days can be stressful and confusing. Many caregivers find that there are a lot of expectations placed upon them for how they should approach these kind of events. This can feel overwhelming. I'd encourage you to consider what makes the most sense for you and your loved one and be mindful to not give in to all of those shoulds. There are many things that caregivers can do to help themselves and their loved ones maximize these events. Start by considering what each specific event really means to you. What are the most important parts of the celebration? 
the people, the food, the place? Is it a certain tradition or ritual that you do? Being a little bit more mindful of the significance of the event can be a helpful starting place in thinking about how cancer can fit into the picture rather than the other way around. Planning ahead can also be very helpful. Anticipate these occasions before they happen. Generally, you know that they're coming. Consider what you and your loved one can tolerate this year and give yourself flexibility to create a new tradition. Managing expectations is such an important part of coping with a loved one's cancer diagnosis, so do consider what traditions you may need to take a path on or change or modify this year. Establishing new holiday or birthday traditions with close family and friends can allow both the patient and caregiver to feel more satisfied and supported during these occasions. And remember to give yourself a break. So many caregivers put pressure on themselves to be able to do it all, and that comes into play a lot with these special occasions that you want to be so momentous and so important and memorable. So be sure to recognize your efforts, know that you're doing the very best that you can, and don't hesitate to reach out for support of your own by asking for help when you need it. Again, family, friends, your loved one's medical team, they can all be helpful resources. The medical team might even have additional suggestions, tips, or support to help you cope with these events, to plan around them um, regarding treatment, and even to just cope with the day-to-day -day things that come up. When it comes to managing family and friends, you know that phrase, it takes a village? That's true when it comes to supporting a loved one with cancer and in getting the support that you need to be the best caregiver possible. Managing that village, however, can be a new experience. When it comes to getting the support that you need as a caregiver, do what you can to honor and maintain friendships, relationships, and traditions that you had before cancer. Having that consistency and that stability throughout your experience leaves you feeling more like yourself. That can be empowering. Managing these relationships well can be a comfort and also helps you to feel more grounded. When it comes to managing family and friends in the context of your loved one's care, remember that everyone has their own experience with cancer and caregiving. Oftentimes this results in well-intended advice or suggestions. Communicating with family and friends about what feels helpful and what doesn't can help to make this support the most positive and beneficial for you. Family and friends might also want information and updates about your loved one and how they're doing. They may have questions and might look to you for answers. So decide what information you and your loved one feel comfortable sharing. And do keep in mind that there's not a one-size-fits-all approach to giving updates and to sharing news. Chances are that other family and friends want to be involved and want to play the role of caregiver in some way. You can help to manage this by delegating certain tasks and asking for help. This might help other family and friends to feel useful and involved. When we're talking about caregiving and the different types of caregivers, we also want to mention long-distance caregiving because we know that for many people, caregiving can come in untraditional ways. Many people with cancer have caregivers who live far away. We'll refer to those folks as long-distance caregivers but that's a term and an experience that can be unfamiliar and confusing. So I just want to take a minute to remind anyone who is a long-distance caregiver that you can be a really meaningful part of your loved one's cancer experience, whether you live locally 
or 1,000 miles away. Caregivers who aren't close by to their loved one can provide significant emotional support. That means a listening ear, offering a sense of camaraderie, social support to their loved ones. And this can happen by phone, text, email, and Skype. We know that technology these days um, can go a long way. It's an advantage and can help you to feel connected and in the loop. Staying in touch and being emotionally available to talk about difficult subjects often helps the patient to feel supported. It can also help the long-distance caregiver to feel like they're contributing and being helpful. This layer of emotional support is often as helpful as providing physical care. So it is so important to keep this in mind. Caregivers can also help with many practical tasks on the medical side of their loved one's care, even from far away. They can coordinate medical appointments, keep track of medical records. They can even get to know the medical team and be an advocate for their loved one's needs, both health-related and otherwise. Consider sending your loved one a list of questions that you have. They might be able to discuss them with their doctors and get some answers or clarity both for themselves but also to bring back to you. Again, this can help you to feel involved, gets your questions answered, but also reminds the patient that you're there for them in whatever ways that you can be. Long-distance caregivers can also help their loved ones with day-to-day -day things to help get them organized. They can manage household bills or finances, organize legal paperwork. They can also direct them to resources and information about things like advanced directives, wills, and healthcare proxies. These are important things to help ensure that your loved one's being well cared for on all levels and across the continuum of care. And importantly, you can also help your loved one to enlist additional support. You can arrange for other friends and family who are more local to drop off meals or coordinate transportation. You can learn about local support groups or workshops that they can attend. Patients often rely on their caregivers to take on some of this legwork when they don't have the energy. And since these tasks usually just take a phone call or email, they're very well suited for caregivers who aren't nearby. And lastly, we know that long-distance caregivers often struggle with feelings of guilt. They wish they could do more. So again, remind yourself of all that you are doing instead of just focusing on what you can't do because of distance. Give yourself credit for the efforts that you've made, and continue to check in with your loved one and see if they have any suggestions about how you can continue to be the most helpful. Long-distance caregivers need support too. So reach out to a support group or contact a social worker to help you make meaning out of your experience. And remember to take good care of yourself. Self-care is an integral part of the caregiver experience. And I've mentioned that throughout my discussion, and that's for good reason. In order to be a good caregiver for another person, you have to be taking good care of yourself. It's like that message that they reiterate on the airplane. You've got to put on your oxygen mask first before helping others. That's very true, and the same goes for caregiving. When we talk about self-care, we mean both physical and emotional care. Focusing on both can help to ensure that you're in a good place and are equipped to take on the responsibilities and impacting of caregiving. Some basic tips that I offer to caregivers really start with the basics. Are you eating three meals a day? 
Are you getting an adequate amount of sleep? Are you doing some kind of physical activity at least once a day? Doing all of these things can also role model for the patient and can remind them to keep up with those activities too. One thing that caregivers tend to find especially helpful is to start a self-care regimen with the idea of simply maintaining what already works rather than adding a lot of new extras because otherwise that can be more overwhelming and can just leave you feeling exhausted. Be sure that you're taking care of your own physical health by scheduling regular physical exams with your doctors and staying on top of any other follow-up care that you might need. Getting organized and keeping a calendar of your own appointments can help you to make this a priority. It's true that feeling physically healthy can improve your mood and outlook, so the benefits are twofold, both for you and the patient. There's also this common misconception that self-care has to take a lot of time or money, but sometimes all it takes is a little creativity and a lot of support. We know that you might not have an opportunity for a spa day or have the time for a vacation, but have you considered going for a short walk on your lunch break, taking in some of the scenery outside of your office? Can you call a friend just to talk about cancer or just normal things? Can you journal or schedule a monthly date night to look forward to? Self-care can even mean something as simple as taking some slow, deep breaths when you're feeling overwhelmed, spending five extra minutes in the shower, or going to bed a half hour earlier than you normally would. Being intentional with your self-care efforts can make them part of your daily routine and can make you feel better able to tolerate some of the challenges that come with caregiving. This can ultimately help you manage stress better. Reaching out for additional support, as I've mentioned, is another healthy way to cope with stress and to improve self-care. Whether it's spending time with supportive friends or family members, connecting with a counselor or joining a support group, feeling connected can be restorative and it can help you to feel less alone. And lastly, I want to commend you all on listening to this call today. That's one step in the right direction in taking good care of yourselves. So thank you for listening and for your time today. Uh, thank you so much, Ms. Brown. That was really wonderful and so very um, informative for everybody and also with such wonderful tips in terms of the self-care and recognition of the challenges of the long-distance caregiver. And so um, I know there will be questions for you during the Q&A, and thank you. And our next speaker is uh, Ms. Carolyn Edlund. Ms. Edlund is an oncology social worker, and she is our online support group program director at Cancer Care. And Ms. Edlund is going to review with you the free psychosocial services and programs that Cancer Care offers, as well as the role of support groups. And it's my pleasure now to turn this program over to Ms. Edlund. Thank you, Carolyn. It's a pleasure to be part of this call today. And I'd like to start by speaking about the importance of creating a support network when you're caring for someone diagnosed with cancer and how cancer care can be a part of that network. There are many ways we can help. Cancer Care is a national nonprofit organization that provides free professional support services to anyone affected by cancer. Cancer Care programs include individual counseling, support groups, education about resources and how to navigate the healthcare system, practical help, and some limited financial assistance. All of our services are delivered by master's level oncology social workers and are completely free of charge. 
Oncology social workers are trained in how a diagnosis of cancer affects a person and his or her family and friends, and are experienced in helping people to manage the emotional, physical, and financial challenges that arise after a diagnosis. Adjusting to and dealing with the diagnosis is an important part of the healing process. Uh, asking for help by joining a support group or by contacting a social worker for counseling is a sign of strength. Cancer Care offers face-to-face -face groups in our local offices in the New York area, as well as telephone and online groups. These groups offer a unique opportunity to connect with other caregivers, along with the help of a cancer care social worker to facilitate the group. Sharing information and understanding with others in similar situations can be a powerful experience. Group members offer encouragement and a sense of community that can provide you with additional support and guidance. These connections help lessen the isolation that many caregivers may experience. Please remember that you are not alone. Cancer care services can help. Uh, so please do contact us at 1-800-813-4673 or log on to our website at www.cancercare.org for more information about our oncology social work support. And thank you so much for the opportunity to speak today. Um, thank you so much, Ms. Edwin. That was really wonderful. And also, uh, explain to everybody all the different resources that are free from Cancer Care that we hope you'll, um, some of you may use already, but if you didn't know about them, now you have full uh, information about uh, all those services. And now we have time for questions. We actually have a lot of time for questions. I really want to thank our speakers for making that possible. And I'm going to ask Stephanie to explain to all of you how to queue up for questions. And we really do appreciate your questions. It's a great time to ask questions. Um, I know you have questions you want to ask your, your own healthcare team, but it's a nice way to actually get some basic information before you approach them. And also, um, because this program is on caregiving and coping with the stresses of caregiving, some of you may also have some tips that you use that work very well for you that you'd like to share. So at this point, we're going to either take your questions or any comments about tips that work for you that you would like to share with others. So now I'm going to turn this over to Stephanie who'll explain to you how to queue up and ask either a question or offer a tip. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question or have a tip, please press star then 1 on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered and you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking Ask a Question. Our first question comes from Danny F. Your line is open. Hi, my name is Danny Feierstein. I'm in Cary, North Carolina. My husband has been diagnosed with multiple myeloma and will not allow me to speak with his health care team. So okay. I don't quite know how I can be of help because the only information I can get on his situation comes from him. As far <laughs> as hints to make this easier, I don't know if I can. I We have a son who has a severe genetic disorder, lives at home with us, and is 36. So I have been a caregiver for all of his life. It presents an interesting situation trying to balance the two. This is an excellent, really excellent question, and we're going to address parts of your question, and then we definitely want to talk with you after the call as well and offer you just some additional service and support. Because, um, and this is a, the question that you raise is one that many people do confront. Um, and I'm going to ask, um, actually, um, Ms. O'Brien, if you could start with this question in terms of just the challenges um, in, in not being able to have access directly to um, um, the um, 
with the husband or a beloved family member, um, being, a, being a caregiver but not having access to the medical team. Sure. So thanks, Danny, for that question and, and your comment. I can hear that there's a lot on your plate. And unfortunately, it can be common for patients to not want their caregivers to be very involved and have access to their medical team. And I, I can hear how frustrating that must be to feel like you're not getting all of the information that you might want. While you might have already tried this, um, perhaps you can talk with your husband about what it would mean for you to be able to ask questions or to, if there are specific pieces of information that you're interested in. Perhaps you can talk with him about ways to get those details addressed. Even if it's through him and not directly in talking to the doctors, um, that might be one way of at least having him hear what your needs are um, or where you're coming from or what information would be the most helpful. Um, and you mentioned a, a good point that I, I hope my, my co-presenters here will also talk about in terms of finding balance between caregiving, potentially for multiple people. And finding balance is definitely a, a challenge. And um, so I hope that you're taking good care of yourself. Um, and also I think keeping in mind that setting some limits when it comes to caregiving, deciding what things that the patient can do for themselves, where you can take a step back and just sort of refresh yourself and take care of yourself can be really important. So those are just a couple of comments to hopefully address parts of your question. This is such an important question. I'm going to ask each of our team members to um, respond. And I think also your question may turn up again at different points during the call because it's so it's a question that we don't always um, address as fully as we could, so I appreciate that this was our first lead question. I'm going to ask Dr. O'Donnell if you also could address this, because we do see this perhaps much more frequently than we actually um, Do you just want to rephrase it for me, please? Thank you. So the question really was that Danny is actually, um, she is not, does not have access yes, to yes. her husband's position, so she does not, um, he, she is not allowed right. to speak and directly with the healthcare team and so relies on her right. husband to actually give her the information. And she's also the caregiver to one of, to a child right, who has right. for many, many years. And so her frustration is in not being able to get all the information and yet being expected to be informed, um, but maybe has questions she would like to have asked, but isn't able to ask them directly. Right, right. Yeah, I think this is very hard uh, for the medical provider uh, because ultimately, you know, we have HIPAA requirements. Uh, we have our relationship is very distinctly to the patient, and so we're bound by kind of those rules. Um, and if a patient clearly states that they don't want someone to receive information or they want to be the sole recipient of the information, then we're in a position where we have to uh, respect that. Um, I think for a caregiver who wants to be involved, coming to the appointments, you know, if that person will allow you to, is kind of the best way to circumvent those issues so that everybody's hearing the same information. Uh, but as a provider, um, it is a very hard position to be in because we understand how important the caregiver is to our patient's well-being, um, to their ability to get through therapy, but at the same time, we have our our obligation to the patient and their wishes. 
important, um, and you probably have this happening more often than we do. We do, and 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 you know, and and these are rule bound, unfortunately, and so um, we have to respect the patient's wishes in these situations, unfortunately, for the caregivers. Thank you, and um, and Ms. Evelyn, I wonder if you could comment on this because it probably is a theme that comes up in some of our online groups as well, in which um, caregivers really do not have this type of access to the healthcare team and are trying to provide care or try to understand things and yet um, they're given partial information but it feels like they have questions they would like to ask themselves and aren't able to. Absolutely. I think there is a special frustration in, you know, being restricted from hearing that information directly and a lot of, you know, layers of feelings around that, I'm sure. And so it can be so helpful for those caregivers to find their own outlets of support and their own uh, forms of support. And certainly um, support groups are, are one wonderful way to do this. Um, you know, support groups are a way to connect with others who, who can potentially understand and relate to what you're experiencing. And I think there can be a lot of comfort and empowerment in, in joining those communities and, um, and really sharing some of those complex feelings that come up because it is such a, a difficult um, predicament to, to be in. And certainly it is one that we do here. It, it is a common one. Excellent. And, and so we don't want you to feel that you're alone. We want you to know that there are many caregivers like you out there, and some of them uh, do, do join a support group or talk with one of our staff here and actually get support around these issues. Also, I should say that sometimes the person that you care the most about who isn't letting you in, it may sometimes be um, for them, they, it's hope, they are not able to um, it, it's sort of a control issue that they just really, they can only handle so much and they, there may be some concerns about opening up other questions that they are not able to deal with at that moment. And so I think that it, um, and also the fact that you are um, a caregiver for such a long time um, for your son. And I think we do see people also who are multiple caregivers. Um, life often does not we see that people often are not dealing with just one issue, but so many issues. So um, we really all um, we're going to take our hat off to you and to all of the people on the call who are facing similar issues. And we also want you to know that, um, that although this is a program about caregiving, that there are many services that go on every day here that um, are accessible for you, and we'll probably reach out to you after the call if that's okay with you, and um, and just have our conversation and see if there are other things that we can do to, to help, uh, because this is a question that um, goes on over time, and um, and so um, we hope that we can be of further help to you as well. Um, and we do have a question actually from another one of um, from one of our online participants, um, and. Um, so the question, this is a, a question um, from a, a caregiver um, from um, Ellen. How can I support my brother with multi-myeloma without saying something wrong that would upset, um, upset um, him more? So I'm going to ask Carly if you could address that to begin with, um, the concern about what will I say that might be the wrong thing to say. Sure. So I want to validate that's something I hear from so many people, um, that they're so worried about saying the wrong thing that they often withdraw or create distance. So I would say 
Um, be honest about your experience. Sometimes it can be a real relief for the patient to just hear um, that you don't know what to say, but that you're there offering support in whatever ways you can. So I would say honesty can go a long way. Um, and really, this is all new for you, so it makes sense that you would be unsure what to say. Cancer Care actually has a really great fact sheet on our website at cancercare.org about how to talk to a, a newly diagnosed loved one. And that might also be an additional form of support for you and for others who might be feeling the same thing. You know, what can I say? How can I approach this? But I think there's really no wrong thing to say. Um, but think about what, what you want to get across. And, and oftentimes that's just letting the person know that you're there to be supportive and to be helpful and asking them what they need. Excellent. And Ms. Evelyn, do you want to add anything to that just because of the online groups and all the groups that you direct and everything? Sure. Um, what, just, just to echo what Carly mentioned, that there is no, no wrong thing to say. And perhaps if it is helpful um, to call us and, and speak with an oncology social worker and use us as a sounding board and try out what that conversation might look like. And uh, we, can, we can help you figure out what feels comfortable to say and perhaps um, provide a, a form of practice in, in a way. But, but there is no wrong thing to say. And I uh, just would echo all of, all of what Carly already mentioned. And, um, and here's a question from one of, another one of our online uh, participants, um, actually from Alan, um, my sister has cancer. I'm worried about her, but even more so, I'm worried about my mom. She tries hard to be strong for everyone, but she's just so run down herself. She seems uncomfortable letting us be there for her. Any advice? So um, again, Carly, would you like to start with that one? Sure. It makes sense. Um that a lot of caregivers tend to not only be taking care of the patient, but also taking care of other family members or might want to take on that role. So I would say, you know, share with your mom the resources that you've learned about today. Um, let her know what feels helpful for you. Let her know that there's support out there for her as well. And sort of redirecting her to the support that's available might be helpful to her, but might also lighten the load a bit for you. And Ms. Evelyn, did you want to add anything to that as well? Um, I, you know, I, I guess I would, um, well, I, I agree with, with all that Carly mentioned. And, um, and not to overly state the role of support groups, but I, I guess I will mention them again as just um, providing that extra outlet. Uh, a place where you can bring up some of these thoughts and concerns and questions and get feedback from uh, other people who can re likely relate to a lot of these same dilemmas and predicaments. And sometimes um, just that process of sharing, hearing the echoes of support and you know, those nods of, yes, I can relate to that too, um, that can really shore up your own confidence and, and help you make any decisions that you need to make about these kinds of, of dilemmas when they come up. Um, I've got a question for Dr. Um, O'Donnell. Um, yep. My wife begins treatment next week and is fearful of side effects and the whole process. Any suggestions on how to help her prepare for the um, restoring treatment? And yeah, so I think, you know, the fear of the unknown is, is a huge element of treatment for cancer. And these next couple of days, I think, are going to be very hard just waiting to see what those will be. 
in general, myeloma therapies have milder side effect profiles compared to more toxic chemotherapy regimens, but they are certainly not without their side effects, and it's very hard to predict just what each person is going to experience. Some of the treatments, it also depends on what treatment she's going to receive, have higher risk of certain side effects versus the others. Um, but I think, you know, the best thing for her is going to be actually starting the treatment and getting over the emotional hump of, of worrying what those side effects will be. Uh, and in the hands of a good provider, you know, everything should be manageable and she should be reassured knowing that these are, you know, most of the drugs we use in myeloma we've been using now for many years. We know how to manage the side effects um, and control them. And a lot of patients fear um, nausea and, and vomiting and diarrhea. These are not side effects that we typically experience with myeloma drugs, but we also have really good ancillary treatments to help patients with side effects. Um, so I think if there were a message for your wife, it's that, um, you know, it's hard to wait, but once you get started, no matter what we encounter, we'll be able to help her get through it. And actually, that's um, an excellent point. I actually just want to mention that we do have another, well, this is a two-part two series. It actually became a three-part series, and part three is Managing Symptoms and Treatment Side Effects of Multibioloma, which is occurring on May 26th same time, 1.30 to 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Many of you have signed up for that, but if you haven't, it might be very helpful to listen in on that um, uh, because I think that there is always this concern about treatment side effects and some things have, as I think Dr. O'Donnell has said, changed or different and it's important to kind of know that there are many ways to cope with them or new ways of dealing with side effects that are quite different. Or is that the case, Dr. O'Donnell? I would say that's absolutely <laughs> one of the, the case. <laughs> no, no I, I think that's absolutely the case. You know, as, as our treatments evolve, so do our supportive regimens, particularly for things like nausea and vomiting, which really are not a huge factor um, in myeloma because of the types of therapies we give. But you know, there is a lot of improvement in that way, and the more we use these drugs, the better we're able uh, to anticipate and react effectively to the side effects. Thank you. And we have um, our online participants are quite active today, so we have another question um, from uh, Robert, actually, and um, his question is, my family members have, and I'm going to ask both um, Ms. Um, O'Brien and Ms. Edwin to comment on this one. My family members have pressured me into being the primary caregiver for a father who has multi-myeloma. I feel like I am not an adequate caregiver with my other responsibilities and think other family members should play a larger role. So how can I help myself and my father and get my other family members involved? It's a big question. <laughs> that has many parts to it. Um, I'm going to ask Ms. O'Brien if you could take part of this um, and actually, um, and the whole concept of just feeling like one is not never adequate quite to the task. Sure. So that's a really great question. And it sounds like you're feeling stuck in a lot of ways. And many caregivers feel this way. Um, they feel a sense of, of obligation to, to take on this role and feel oftentimes a lack of support from other family members. Um, and so I would say getting support for yourself to help you navigate sort of what your limits are and what other options for support are out there. You know, that might mean uh, talking with a social worker individually about what you feel like is still manageable for you, what parts of the experience, and which parts of it don't feel manageable. That's a good starting place to sort of sort through where you're at and what you still can do. Um, 
A social worker might also help you access outside resources, outside of the family. Sometimes that means um, a visiting nurse service coming in every now and then, or having someone to come in and help out with things around the house. That can be a big source of support for the caregiver too, and also can help the patient with what they need. Um, so those are a couple of ideas in terms of, of starting places. And I would say if you're feeling pushback from family members, are there other supports in place, people in the community, neighbors, um, church community? Uh, other community members that might be able to offer some support to lighten your load. Um, something to think about is, is just looking outside of the family. Thank you. And um, Ms. Evelyn, do you want to comment as well? Sure. Uh, so I think in, in making those those complicated decisions uh, around how much you know you are able to take on versus what you know, ideally might be delegated to either someone else in the family or perhaps to another available service, uh, I think it can be helpful to really zoom in uh, on exactly what those activities and tasks might be. And, and again, I think it is a wonderful idea to perhaps speak with a social worker about this because, um, you know, when really kind of zooming in and, and looking at those tasks in detail, um, you know, it, it's going to help you perhaps figure out if others in the family can pick up some of those things that feel like too much, um, or again, you know, locate resources um, that are available that might provide assistance that you have not yet heard of, um, and, and you know, using the experience and the background of a social worker can be helpful in, in hearing about those other resources. Um, but I would just say, you know, it, it is okay to to have limitations, and um, and it's it's a good starting place to acknowledge that. Um, you know, you cannot take on everything, and and uh, and that there is help out there in in perhaps different capacities, and to try to reach out for it. Excellent. And um, we have uh, one last late-breaking question, actually, um, from John. Uh, my dad was diagnosed with multi-myeloma last month. He and my mother live in another state, so this is a long-distance caregiver, and I have a family of my own, so I can't be there to help them out on a daily basis. What can I do to support them from far away? So, Ms. O'Brien, could you address this one? Um, sure. And I, 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 yeah, I mentioned some of this earlier, but I think, again, recognizing that, yes, you have your own life and your own responsibilities is important. And that can really, focusing on that and giving those things time and attention can, can be really helpful and to can help you to feel grounded. Um, but think about things um, that you can do for your dad, like um, whether it is helping him to just get organized, um, you know, scanning things into the computer, keeping track of his appointments, checking in to see how he's doing managing side effects. Um, call him just to talk and say hello, um, give him the distraction of, of talking with your family on a Skype call. If you have ch you know, young children, having him talk to the grandchildren um, to lift his spirits a bit. I think sometimes we, we minimize the impact of those simple gestures. Those are very much important parts of caregiving too. So don't underestimate those. And again, do what you can and be flexible with yourself because offering that emotional support goes such a long way. Thank you. And Ms. Evelyn, do you want to comment as well? Sure. And I would even add, um, you know, being transparent about 
sometimes not being sure how to offer support can be helpful. You know, opening up a conversation about what else might what else might be helpful? What else can I do? And um, and again, it could be those simple gestures, as Carly was describing, or there might be other other underlying needs that have not yet been discussed. And I think it's okay to to not know sometimes and to share that with your loved one and to ask um, how you can be of assistance or, or, or support. Well, I want to thank all of our speakers. You've been uh, phenomenal. I have to say, it's an outstanding call. And I also want to thank all of our participants and those who both asked questions on the telephone and also those who really asked lots of questions online as well. Um, and this is, I want to remind you, this is a one-hour workshop and that in planning this program that I, we recognize that you have many needs that go far beyond the scope of one hour. So although our program will soon come to an end, the services you can access from Cancer Care and the answers to your questions that you may still have or may have other questions, those are continuous. So in terms of anyone who has a medical question that they didn't get to ask and has some concerns about that, I recommend that you call the National Cancer Institute they have a toll-free number, 1-800-422-6237. Again, 1-800-422-6237. That's a wonderful resource um, for all of you on the call. And for those of you who prefer using um, the, the Internet or for international participants, um, I would suggest you just visit their website at www.cancer.gov. And they do have a live chat feature where you can actually post your question, and they will then address it. They have information specialists that are quite excellent. If you, any of you, however, want to contact Cancer Care and speak with one of our oncology social workers here for either practical or financial help or help with, um, uh, with any of your um, with counseling services, joining a support group, um, having individual counseling, an online support group or telephone group, um, or participate in one of our future programs, or get a publication. And we also have a copay foundation as well. I would definitely suggest that you contact um, Cancer Care. And our number for Cancer Care is 1-800-813-4673. And that's on all the materials you receive from us. And also for those of you who prefer the, um, contacting us on the web at www.cancercare.org. And you can actually, at, there you can pose your question or ask to be connected to a social worker in that way as well. But most importantly, as we're about to conclude the call, I don't want, as many of our speakers have said today, we don't want any of you to feel like you're alone. We do know that you often feel that way. Um, but we want you to now know that you are connected to a resource that can provide support to you at those moments. Um, and I would definitely suggest that you call us, take advantage of these services, connect with one of our oncology social workers, um, because um, you, as a, as, as a caregiver, you all face so many issues, um, as we heard today from some of your questions. And also there are people living on the call today who may be people living with one of my mama themselves as well. And so do utilize these services. They're here for you. Again, I want to encourage you to do this, and I want to also remind you about this next program we have coming up, um, actually on May 26th, Managing Symptoms and Treatment Side Effects of Multi-Myeloma, and you'll all be hearing more about that program. And again, uh, thank you all, and I wish you all a very fine day. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop. You may now disconnect, and everyone have a wonderful day.